Hey friends, today is day number 23. This is Pastor Reiko Zek. You're listening to Jesus in the Center, one year Bible podcast. Today we're going to jump right in and look at Genesis 46 and 47, Matthew chapter 15, Proverbs chapter 4, and Psalm 19. Thanks for uh, joining me. I really appreciate it. There's some great stuff in our readings today. We'll kind of breeze through it. In Genesis 46, there has just been this reunion between Joseph and his father, Jacob. Remember, Jacob's heart almost stopped when when he heard that Joseph was alive and that he was the ruler of Egypt. He couldn't believe it. He basically died, and yet uh, he he heard the evidence. His sons were not joking, and uh, his spirit revived. That's pretty cool. He says, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And then Joseph sends wagons to bring all of Jacob's family down to Egypt. And before he goes, one contrast between him and his grandfather, Abraham. Remember, they both went down to Egypt. When we hear of the famine in Canaan with Abraham, it just says there's a famine and that Abraham went down. And then right away, it talks about his lack of faith and how he says that his wife, Sarah, is really his sister. And there's that whole problem with she's taken into Pharaoh's household and all this stuff. He has a lack of faith. He's never told to go to Egypt. Here, his grandson Jacob, before he goes, it says that uh, that the, the God of his father appeared to him. It says that God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. This is a beautiful promise that we can extrapolate. It's a fancy word. We can extrapolate this going down to Egypt and coming back again. This is what God has promised us when we go down into death, when he uh, allows our eyelids to be closed, he will bring us up again because of Jesus. Because Jesus is Lord, he has conquered death. Well, uh, of course, that's reading way ahead in the story. As they're getting ready to go down, the author of Genesis, Moses here, recounts the number of people who go down. There's about 70 from Jacob's household who go down. I wish that they would have included uh, the, the wives who also go down. So there's more than 70, but they're just focused here on the descendants. And then we see this reunion between Jacob and Joseph. Isn't it, isn't it great? It says that uh, Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And then Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Wow, Israel or Jacob's dream of a reunion has come true. It's, it's great. It's beautiful. We could call it the Old Testament, Nunc Dimittis, which is a fancy word uh, for this song that's in the New Testament. In the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, there's these songs, and one of them is the song of Simeon, who, he's in the temple, and he sees baby Jesus brought in, and so he says this, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. That is the words of Simeon when God showed him the salvation that would come in Jesus. 
That's a lot like what Israel or Jacob says here when he sees Joseph. Now let me die since I've seen your face and I know that you're still alive. Great story. Well, we keep on going and they end up settling in the land of Goshen, mostly because the Egyptians don't like shepherds and they're definitely shepherds. Joseph had asked for the land of Goshen. Anyway, Pharaoh gives them the land, but one point thing I want to point out is that Joseph brought his father Israel or Jacob before Pharaoh. This is chapter 47 and it says that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, remember when Melchizedek, the the priest or the king of Salem blessed Abraham. And later on in the book of Hebrews, it says that no doubt the greater blesses the lesser. So here, Israel, Jacob blesses Egypt. This is a sign of, remember the whole Abrahamic covenant. It was that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. All the families of the earth would be blessed. Here, we see one from, we see it right in person, that Jacob is literally blessing Pharaoh. All right, then we have this whole famine. As it continues, it's going to go at least five more years. And we see the story of the people selling off everything they have in order to stay alive to the government, to Joseph. They sell their money in exchange for food. Then they sell their livestock the next year in exchange for food. And eventually the third year, they sell themselves and they sell their land. They become, I guess the best way to say it is serfs. They're not exactly slaves. They're serfs. They get to they get to work on the land and give a portion of it to the owners, uh, which would be Pharaoh. The tax here, by the way, is one-fifth. This is the harvest tax, or we could say the income tax. I almost like to think, that's not so bad. One-fifth is not so bad. It seems like we're a little bit worse off than those Egyptian serfs. Anyway, they're happy servants. Later on, by the way, in the book of Leviticus 25-25, It talks about how those like this, these indentured servants or serfs, we could say, in the land of Israel, they would be able to work for their freedom, which we don't see anything like that here in the book of Genesis. Well, that's the saga. It continues. And then one final detail is that one final detail is that Jacob demands of his son, Joseph, don't bury me here. Take me back to the land of my forefathers. And that's sort of a prefiguring what would come in the in the future, as all of the Israelites or the Hebrews would come out of the land of Egypt into the land of promise. All right, so let's flip over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 15 today. This is a great chapter to come back to. Anyway, the Pharisees and scribes who come from Jerusalem, they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. Now, there was, there was a lot of traditions at this point point in time. There was a whole uh, collection of them that would later be gathered in what we have as the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, there is a whole chapter on the right way to wash your hands, to ceremonially become pure before you do certain things, in this case, eating. He says, well, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Jesus here is very clear in saying that there is something stronger and more authoritative than your traditions, and that is the Word of God, the commandments of God. And so he rails them for breaking the fourth commandment, not honoring your father and mother. And he quotes this, and this is the first time that he uses the word hypocrites for Pharisees and scribes, and he says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
so Jesus reminds and, and excoriates them and I think teaches all of us that it's not enough to just go through the motions. The Lord wants our heart. He wants our wanter. This is, is so true. The Lord wants our heart. He doesn't want us to go through the motions. It doesn't mean that motions are bad. Is it bad to make the sign of the cross to say, I belong to Jesus? No. Is it bad to have set times of day to pray? No, it's not bad. But is it bad to say, I become holy if I wash my hands in a certain way? I will be accepted by God if I tithe parsley that I pick out of my garden. Will that make me right before God? No, it will not. And that's what Jesus says. However, does Jesus, along with this, you know, it's about your heart, does he then throw out all the commandments of God? No, he returns us to the commandments of God. The commandments of God are about our heart. And so he shows us how the Lord wants our heart. And then he will later teach his disciples what it means to become clean before God and what defiles a person. And he says, it's not about what you eat. And he says, are you still without understanding? He says this to Peter, because Peter is without understanding. Don't you see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Remember, this this goes back to chapter 12. Uh, the mouth speaks from the heart. Whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. And then he refers us to the commandments, right? He's already referred to the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. This is the Lutheran reckoning of the, the, the commandments. And then he refers to other commandments. He says evil thoughts, which that is that kind of summarizes all of them. But then he says murder, the fifth commandment, adultery and sexual immorality. That's the sixth commandment. It says theft. That's the seventh commandment. False witness, that's the Eighth Commandment, and slander also, I would say, is, is the Eighth Commandment. So he walks right through the commandments, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Well, what about 1, 2, and 3, and 9 and 10? Remember 9 and 10, it says, do not covet. That is something that is, without a doubt, geared toward your heart. And what about numbers 1, 2, and 3? You shall have no other gods. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day. Those are also about our hearts. What is our heart? fear, love, and trust. And we know as Christians, it should be Yahweh, our Lord, our Lord Jesus. We need uh, hearts that are not defiled. Oh, how do we get those? Here it says in verse 14 that these Pharisees and scribes are blind teachers. They don't see how to be clean before God. And then we have this contrasting story of the Canaanite woman. Jesus takes off from that area and he goes up to Tyre and Sidon. And this is a Gentile area on the seacoast. And behold, a Canaanite woman, a Canaanite woman from that region, someone who's not in the club. She's a Canaanite woman. So she comes and she cries out. Where they are blind, she sees. She says, have mercy on me. And this is this is one of the things that we go through the motions, we could say, on, right? This is one of the traditions we have. Well, is it a good tradition? In our church service, we have what's called the Kyrie, where we say, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. It's not an empty tradition. It, it harkens back to this. And this, this prayer of this woman, have mercy on me, this is the most common prayer to Jesus in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Have mercy on me, Lord, or in Greek, Kyrie eleison. Now, does that mean we just go through the motions and say, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy? No, we're like this woman. With our hearts, we cry to the one who can give us mercy. I love the definition of Pastor Scott Bruzek. He says, mercy 
is God applying his compassion and kindness to our needs. I think that's a great definition. So here she cries out, have mercy on me. And we'll see this coming up in, in, in further chapters that others will say, have mercy on me. And she knows who this is. She calls him Lord. Oh, Lord, son of David. Now get this. Son of David is the title for the Jewish king, the Jewish Messiah. She is a Canaanite woman. And yet she has enough faith to call on the Jewish Messiah, knowing that he can do what she needs. Heal my daughter. Jesus does this weird thing, and he does not answer her. Not a single word. He is ghoster, I guess is the best way to say it. His disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away. She is crying out after us. She's bothering us. Like, we don't really care about her daughter. Or her, just get rid of her. She's a Canaanite woman and she's annoying. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Wow, he is testing her. I'm not for you, I'm for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Did Jesus only come for those in Israel? Of course not. But his mission right now is focused on Israel. Israel who is to be a light uh, to the Gentiles. And so he's making disciples within Israel who will then, of course, go out. Matthew uh, 28 ends with go into all the world, right? So we know that Jesus is not only for those in, in Israel, but that's where he starts. The mission of Jesus, we could say, is to make all the world Israel. That is, all children of faith, all children of the promise. Anyway, back to this Canaanite woman. She doesn't give up because she has faith. She came and knelt before him. Knelt before him is the same word translated worship in the previous chapter, where in the boat, Jesus walks on the water, he calms the storm, he saves Peter and gets in the boat. They worship him. And they say, truly, this is the son of God. Well, here she knows this too. This is the son of David, the Lord. So she worships him saying, Lord, help me. Beautiful, short prayer. Just like Simon prayed in the previous chapter, Lord, save me. He finally answers, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Oh, does that hurt? Does that hurt? What is Jesus doing here? Well, it's not as bad as it seems. He's quoting a Middle Eastern proverb, and she hears it, and she she answers with faith. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This sounds bad in English. It's not as bad in Greek. In Greek, it's the word for dog is like a pet, your lap dog, your house dog, the little doggy that would sit on your lap. I've got a little doggy, Winnie. Sometimes she drives me nuts, but, you know, usually it's nice. You get greeted by her. I don't give her any snacks from the table, but I know at least Libby does. <laughs> so even Winnie gets the crumbs that fall from their master's table, right? We love Winnie. We love our little puppy. That's what she is saying, and that's the word that Jesus uses as well. She answers with faith, and Jesus answered her, Oh, woman, great is your faith be it done for you as you desire. And this is the second time that Jesus is amazed or commends the faith of a Gentile. Go back to chapter 8. You'll see the other one. And her daughter was healed instantly. Contrast this with the disciples who over and over Jesus says to them, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Here Jesus says, Great is your faith, O woman. That is beautiful. I love that story. Well, we, we end today with Psalm 19. This is a beautiful psalm. This is one of the first psalms that I ever remember reading because it just stands out. It talks about 
God speaking. It starts with the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And it just goes on. The skies, the heavens never stop proclaiming, God made me. God is the creator. And it does it without words, just with the beauty of creation. So God is speaking. And then I never caught this, but today I like this. The sun that God has made, it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. This is sort of a picture of the, the day after you're married and you've consummated the marriage and you get up in the morning and, man, you're feeling good. Woo, you just got married and all that. And it talks about a champion rejoicing to run his course. I was also looking at a, a rock climber because I just did some rock climbing. And he's like 65. And this guy, he's climbing up buildings and walls with no ropes. And he gets up there. He's like, yeah, this is awesome. That's what I picture. The sun. This is how it's personified. The Lord has made the sun to for us each day to just just come out, come out and give us light. Now, here in western New York... We almost never see the sun this time of year, but every once in a while, boom, there it is. It's great. So God speaks through creation. And every deer hunter, every deer hunting buddy of mine knows it's awesome to sit on a tree stand. Not not because you just want to get some venison in the freezer, although there's that, but because the God of creation is near. He has made creation for us to enjoy. It's awesome. And in the new heavens and new earth, we will enjoy that. All right, then it talks about in this psalm, the law of the Lord is perfect. This is the word in, in Hebrew. It's one that you want to nail down. Whenever you see the word law in the Old Testament, the Hebrew there is Torah, which is a general word for law, but it's also instruction. We could say Torah is all the work of God. So it's the whole story. It's the whole enchilada. The instruction, the guidance of the Lord is perfect. We feel sorry for those who say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. What that means is they have a God who speaks to them and that God is themselves. We, however, we actually do have a God who speaks not only in creation, but also through his word, through his instruction. And here we, we see that in this, this psalm. It's good because it's, it's better than gold. It's better than the best foods. Why? Because we are warned. Unlike the Pharisees and scribe who would lead us, by trusting in ourselves, lead us into a pit as a blind guide, we have a guide, God's word, um, Jesus himself, who shows us clarity. And that's sort of what the Proverbs ends at. It says this, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. This is God's will for us, that we would walk in his truth knowing him, and that our path would become brighter, like the light of day. And then it says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Lord, have mercy on those who do not, just like the Canaanite woman's daughter, Lord, have mercy on those who are maybe even demon-possessed, those who walk in darkness and don't know why they stumble. Lord, have mercy. Well, we don't come tooting our own horns. We end, uh, just like the psalm today, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Yahweh, O Jesus Christ, my rock and my redeemer. We come because we have a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is our rock and our redeemer, the one who has bought us and paid for us. Well, that's today's readings. Thanks for letting me go on a little bit of a soapbox. I pray God blesses your journey of faith. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.